So, Srimad Bhagavad Gita as it is. We are studying the 15th chapter. And this evening we'll try to cover a few verses. We kind of ended last week with uh, text 7. Maivam so jiva loke jiva utasanathana. Tonight I'm going to cover texts uh, 8 through eight through 15, if we can. And before we chant a verse, just to recap, this 15th chapter, in this 15th chapter we get very, we get an overview of the nature of entanglement that the entanglements that confront uh, the living entities within the material world. Uh, we understand that the material world is a is a manifestation of the Lord's energy, but it's it's not his a complete manifestation of his spiritual energy. It's a place for for the living entities that want to enjoy independent of him. It's often referred to as a perverted reflection of the spiritual world. Everything we experience here should be seen as a reflection of the nature of the Lord's spiritual energy. But as explained in this chapter, it's upside down. So, Lord Krishna begins this chapter by explaining uh, the concept uh, that he'll carry through the whole chapter, and that is the concept of uh, the material world as a heavily rooted tree. And it's... Uh, referred to as a banyan tree. Now in India there is, this tree is there, the banyan tree, and it has a very unique feature. The feature is, as the tree grows, the limbs of this tree, when they get, when they grow and get long, they actually touch the ground, and what were once limbs become roots. You can imagine it gets to be kind of a tangled web of what is a limb and what is a root and it's what was once a limb is now a root and he uses this banyan tree as an analogy as to how we become entangled in the material energy in his in his external potency pointing to the method by which we can become free from this entanglement we have to, we have to, and Krishna explains in this chapter, we read last week, in order to get free of the tree, we have to cut ourselves free of the entanglement with the weapon of detachment. It's a pretty easy concept to, to get when we look at, uh, at how we're drug around in this world according to our nature. Uh, we can get some idea that until we can detach ourselves from the misconceptions we have for enjoyment, we're going to be continually bound up. This week, the, the verses we're going to go over, and before we, we go back to that, what I'm going to do is we're going to chant a little bit more Sanskrit. We'll chant text number 15. Sarasya chaham hridi sani vistom matashmitir janama pohanam sha. Vedascha savaraham eva vedjo vedanta krid veda vid eva chaham. I'm seated in everyone's heart, and for me come remembrance, knowledge, and forgetfulness. By all the Vedas, I'm to be known. Indeed, I'm the compiler of Vedanta, and I am the knower of the Vedas. Omajuna Trimanandasya, Junajuna Salakaya, Chakshuru Militanyena, Tasmai Sri Gurave Damaha. I was born in the darkness of ignorance, but my eyes have been opened by the torchlight of knowledge. I offer my most respectful obeisances unto my spiritual master. It's a very important verse. We're going to drop back to uh, text number eight and put the verse in perspective. So in text 8, Krishna states, The living entity in the material world carries his different conceptions of life from one body to another. 
as the air carries aromas. Thus he takes one kind of body and again quits it to take another. At the end of last week, we completed the class with text 7. So let's read that text just to put it in perspective. In this this text, 7, the living entities in this conditioned world are my eternal fragmental parts. So Krishna is saying every living entity within the material world is a small fragment of himself, a small fragment of God. Due to conditioned life, they are struggling very hard with the six senses, which include the mind. Now, going on for this week, the living entity in the material world carries his different conceptions of life from one body to another as the air carries aromas. Thus he takes one kind of body and again quits it to take another. So we can see that although generally speaking 99.9% of the time we can't remember our past life or lives. Now once in a while, once, once in a while in the modern society someone will come along and say well you know I was a confederate soldier or uh, you know, I was uh, Napoleon's right-hand man. You know, they'll come forward. And they'll, they may have a glimpse, or they may just be trying to get some temporary name and fame. And uh, From Bhagavad Gita, we get authoritative knowledge, uh, based on, not based on some mental speculation or sense perception. This, this knowledge is coming from uh, a higher plane of existence. So... We have the good fortune uh, in Bhagavad Gita that actually the Lord himself is giving, giving spiritual knowledge to his disciple and friend Arjuna. Transmigration of the soul from one body to another is being explained in this eighth text. Now we all know that we, we're here and we have a body. And every body, all of our bodies are different. We all are born under different circumstances. The whole nature of our body, which is just like a, a machine that uh, carries the soul around, uh, is different. So in this verse, it's explained that wherever our consciousness is at the end of our body that state of being carries over to the next body and we can kind of see that in recent history what are that what's that terminology for those young kids that could immediately uh, savants immediately they're fully capable of performing some, what we would consider, miraculous uh, task. Uh, Immediately, they, you know, there may be a child, he's young, but he's already writing books, or he's already doing advanced mathematics, or he's already able to conceive of symphonies in his mind and execute them. Uh, Or we hear that, uh, like, uh, Mozart and, and Beethoven from from youth, they were already fully accomplished musicians. They didn't have to go to school to learn. They didn't have to be tutored. They'd already had some qualification in in that area. That's generally on our plane the exception to the rule that someone comes and they already have a lot of of built-in talents. But we can understand the concept that's being put forth here that when we leave our body, whatever state of consciousness we've attained to, whatever has been our prime objective and desire in this life is carried to the next life. And Krishna explains Let me give you an idea of how it's carried. It's carried in the same way that we, in this body, perceive 
the scent of an object. So we perceive like the flower, we can smell the flower. Now, the flower and the scent of the flower and our, our perception of seeds smelling are different things. But we have a perception of that scent. Very subtle, isn't it? Not everybody's scent of smell is the same. And none of us can smell as good as the little dog. <laughs> he has a much better scent. But we can understand the concept that's trying that's that's being uh, put before us here. The air carries the aroma. As the air carries the aroma, we also carry our desires, what we have aspired to in one life. We carry those to the next body. So immediately when we, when we when we come into the next body, we're provided with facility to take off where we left off. Does that make sense? How that exactly happens, Krishna explains further in the verse we chanted tonight. But we'll get there in a minute. Let's, let's go on through the verses. Text 9. The living entity, thus takes, taking another gross body, obtains a certain type of ear, eye, tongue, nose, and sense of touch, which are grouped about the mind. He thus enjoys a particular set of sense objects. Now, the sense objects that come with the material body are different according to the desire of the living entity. Now, generally, when we speak of the living entities that have come to the human form of life, uh, they have the most developed intellect. The mind is, is most developed. The other animals, other species of life, other bodies which the soul can obtain are, are of a different grade. The living entity thus taking another gross body. Well, if there's, if some, there's a distinction being made here, is there not? We have a gross body, well that must be, there must be another kind of body. It must be a subtle body. Subtle body. So it's explained in the Vedas, the gross body is earth, water, fire, air, ether. Mind, intelligence, and false ego, that's the subtle body. So when we leave the gross body, when it grows old, when we can no longer drive it, when it becomes so much of a burden to the soul and so painful, we have to get out. We have no choice. And none of us here, none, none among us right here now, is going to get away from this dilemma. Our fathers didn't get away from it, or won't get away from it. Our grandfather, let's go back, great-great-grandfathers, great they're most all gone, right? We can see, if we, if we look back, no one's, no one's got away from impending death. When death comes, when what, what we perceive as death comes, well, it... A transcendentalist, someone who has spiritual knowledge, and later on we're going to see what, who those people are and what, what makes them different from us. What makes them different from us? Krishna's going to explain that. But generally, we think, the majority of people in modern society think, for the most part, they do not have a conception of the transmigration of the soul as it's being explained here. Now they may have some conception of the soul, but the detailed knowledge, this level of detail of exactly how the soul transmigrates is generally not available. It's not taken advantage of. 
that's really one of the wonders of Bhagavad Gita is this, these complex understandings of our spiritual nature and of the material world and of the Supreme Lord are put forth in such a way that we can comprehend even the most advanced levels of spiritual understanding. Even though we are situated in what would be considered a, a uh, not the most ideal of circumstances for acquiring spiritual knowledge, <laughs> still, by the mercy of Lord Chaitanya, that special concession that we mentioned, for everyone making good spiritual advancement, we can understand these concepts very easily. Purification is easy for us. The living entity, thus taking another gross body, obtains a certain type of ear. So, again, as that fragrance, what we, where we were at at the end of the last body, that pulls us into another body, that desire... And according to what level of consciousness and what our primary objectives were in life, then the next set of senses are made available to us in another gross material body. Thus he enjoys a particular type of sense objects. So that's, I mean, if we, if we look at material life, isn't that what it's all about? Enjoying the senses? We want to taste something nice. We want to smell something nice. We want to see something nice, hear something nice, touch something nice. So everything is about, in, you know, satisfying our senses. Basically, religion in the world is, is teaching us how, how to do that in a regulated fashion and also make spiritual advancement. Otherwise, well, there's hedonistic societies out there, that what, what is their objective? Simply enjoy, enjoy, enjoy. And what's the result of that kind of enjoyment? You have like the uh, uh, rise and fall of Rome. Here's a whole civilization. Uh, they, were the greatest, they were the greatest civilization on the face of the planet during their time. But what happened? They let the, their senses get the better of them. And at the end, what had they done? They degraded their activities into just the most abominable lifestyles, and therefore they became so immersed in that, they didn't even take time to, to tend to their necessities of life. Therefore, it all fell apart. Now, who can understand this transmigration of the soul from one body to another, and who can't? Text 10. The foolish cannot understand how a living entity can quit his body, nor can they understand what sort of body he enjoys under the spell of the modes of nature. But one whose eyes are trained in knowledge can see all this. Again, this concept comes forth. Jana Chakshu seeing with the eyes of knowledge. And we've discussed this again and again. Seeing with knowledge, not depending on what the environment is telling us, is a much better way to understand things. We don't need to experience everything in the world to understand it. If we hear as a young child to stay away from a burning fire, that's a much better way of learning than walking up to the fire and sticking your arm in. Isn't it? Hearing from an authority is a much better way to acquire knowledge for us. If we hear... In a society that if you go in and you steal from other people, the constables, the, the authorities, the police are going to capture you. They're going to put you on trial and then they're going to incarcerate you for stealing. Don't steal. 
That's one way. We hear that knowledge, we know not to do it, we've heard it from authorities that know, and we listen, we follow that good direction, and we stay out of jail. That's one way of acquiring knowledge. Or, another way is, I'm in a store one day, and I see somebody sticking something under their coat. And then all of a sudden, as I go out of the store, I notice they're outside in handcuffs, and they've been arrested for stealing. So I observe others in the environment and what happens to them. That's another way of acquiring knowledge. That's better than also doing it ourselves. So the best way is to hear and learn. Second best way, we may observe in the environment. And then, of course, we can walk into the store and we can try it ourselves. And when we walk outside and the policeman's standing there with the handcuffs and he puts them on us, that's the most potent way of, of learning. Mm. But it's not the most intelligent way. So here, this term comes up again at the end of the verse. Verse 10. Janachakshush. Now where did we just read this? Let's go back to the end of the 13th chapter. The last verse in the 13th chapter. Shetra Shetraj Nayor Evam Antaram Jana Chakshusha Janu Chakshusha The same terms come up there. At the conclusion of this chapter of Nature, the Enjoyer, and Consciousness, Krishna says, those whose eyes, those who see with eyes of knowledge the difference between the body and the knower of the body and can also understand the process of liberation from bondage and material nature attained to the supreme goal. Now, let's read the verse again. We're studying. The foolish cannot understand how a living entity can quit his body, nor can they understand what sort of body he enjoys under the spell of the modes of nature. But one whose eyes are trained in knowledge can see all this. It's kind of why we get together every week. We want to be able to see the world with the eyes of knowledge. We want to be able to perceive this environment with our intelligence, with an intelligence. Buddhi. Buddhi yoga. Many different kinds of yoga. But the yoga of intelligence is applicable when we really want to put an end to the miseries of material existence. We really want to elevate ourselves. We really want to understand our spiritual being. So, John Chakshus, we attain the eyes of knowledge. We attain knowledge from hearing from superior authority. Moving right along. Text 11. The endeavoring transcendentalist who is situated in self-realization can see all this clearly. Well, that's our advantage, isn't it? And even if we can't see it clearly, well, we can ask and we can inquire and inquire until we fully understand it. That's what transcendental knowledge is about. If you don't understand, inquire from somebody that does. They'll freely give you this knowledge. That's Krishna's way. That's the way of this science of Bhagavad Gita. Krishna says in the Bhagavad Gita, just try to learn the truth by approaching a spiritual master. Inquire from him submissively and render service unto him. The self-realized soul can impart knowledge to you because he's seen the truth. This is not exactly intellectual knowledge. This knowledge is special. It's of, a, it's of a different kind. It's not just book learning. This knowledge we acquire by, by seeking out a proper source and by a little bit of service. In other words, we engage in a process 
whereby we can apply this knowledge through service in our life and advance. So it's not just intellectualized knowledge. Three components. Tadvidi pranipatena, pariprashnena sevaya, upadakshantite jnanam janinas tattvadarsina. Pranipat, we, we approach with a little bit of humility. We approach understanding we probably don't know it all. Tadvidi pranipatena, pariprashnena sevaya. And we inquire sincerely, sevaya. And we render service to someone who, can, who is giving us transcendental knowledge. That doesn't mean we become, well, if we can become an indentured slave, that's the highest platform. But it means we, we show our appreciation. Jana Chakshush. Where do we get it? So the foolish cannot understand. The foolish, someone that is so wrapped up in this tree of material existence, this re- perverted reflection of our true spiritual being. I mean, our true spiritual being is eternity, knowledge, and bliss. Here, are we experiencing that? Are we full of knowledge? Is everybody blissful all the time? Raise your hand. Everybody that was blissful from the moment you woke until now. All day. No? No one? Oh, well, then we need to increase our knowledge. Because our nature is to be eternally blissful, full of knowledge, and eternal. We are eternal. This is being, what's being explained here tonight is what happens when we're in this banyan tree, wrapped up in the external potency, trying to exploit this nature for our enjoyment, for our gratification, or trying to renounce this nature for some other motive. The endeavor, endeavoring transcendentalist, that's everybody that's here. Congratulations, thank you for coming. You're all endeavoring transcendentalists who are situated in self-realization. Well, if you didn't feel bliss from morning to night, we got some work to do, but that's okay. Can see all this clearly. But those whose minds are not developed and who are not situated in self-realization cannot see what is taking place, though they may try. A point I want to make here that's very important. It appears from reading the verse, but those whose minds are not developed and who are not situated in self-realization cannot see what is taking place. It's important for us to always remember that this is not mundane knowledge. This is not an academic pursuit. Pariprashnena sevaya. Pranipat. Those ingredients of acquiring knowledge, it's not like you just sit down and you study and understand. We sit down, but we sit down and we learn from an authority who knows, and we do that in the proper consciousness with submissive inquiry, and then knowledge comes. I'll relate a story. I've said it again before many times. I'll relate it again, just to bring this point home. There was a student of this great book, Bhagavad Gita, and his teacher, his spiritual master, told him every day, you read this book. And in that way, you'll become perfect. Problem was, he was illiterate. (laughs) Couldn't read. But he had faith in the instructions of his guru. And he said, well, I have to follow. I may not be able to do it perfectly. I may not even be able to do it hardly at all. I can't even read. But he's told me every day I need to study this book. So every day... He would sit and he would look through the book. He would look at the pictures. And he would, to the best of his capacity, try to attain spiritual understanding and develop Janu Chakshush, 
knowledge by following the direction that he received from his teacher. Everybody in the village just laughed at him. <laughs> Look, he's sitting there. He can't even read. And every day he has this book in his lap. And he's... he's, he's Pretending. Huh? He pretends. Yes, he's just a pretender. Mm. At the beginning we mentioned Lord Chaitanya who was actually a, a manifestation of the Supreme Lord who, who inaugurated this movement, which is known as the Krishna Consciousness Movement. And he came across this, this student and he inquired from him, well, I see you're reading Bhagavad Gita every day. And uh, he said, well... No, I, I'm illiterate. I can't read. But my spiritual master said I need to read this every day. I, that's what I need to do to, to, to become a, a good disciple, to become a good devotee. And Lord Chaitanya said, but I see that tears are flowing from your eyes whenever you're touching and, and looking at Bhagavad Gita. And the, the illiterate Brahmin, he said... Well, yeah, who, who, who would not be moved to tears seeing that here is the Supreme Lord and he is taking the position of, the, of a, a chariot driver for his dear friend Arjuna. That the Lord is willing to take such a, do such a simple menial service because of his, the, the love he has for his devotee. Anybody should be moved to tears. Lord Chaitanya said, I can understand that you are the topmost student of Bhagavad Gita. You know the essence of Bhagavad Gita. So, when we read, like in this 11th verse, the endeavoring transcendentalist, and then we say, but those whose minds are not developed, that is not a material qualification. The development of our spiritual mind is not based on, on some IQ points. It's based on sincerity, submissiveness, surrender, and determination to make advancement in spiritual life. In three verses, we're going to end here. In these three verses, in these three verses, the Supreme Lord Himself is giving us indications as to how we can perceive Him in this environment. So He begins in the twelfth verse: "The splendor of the sun, which dissipates the darkness of the whole world, comes from Me, and the splendor of the moon and the splendor of fire are also from Me." So we may think, well, God, he's so far away. We're going to find in these three verses, no. We may think, we may be under the misconception that he's so far away, but actually, no, he's very close. So first, the first he gives an explanation that, that we see like far away. We perceive the sun is far away, but we feel it's warmth and, we, and it's light pervades everything when it comes up in the morning we can see and go about our work in life but it seems it's so far off the moon it seems it's so far off but still without its energy the vegetables would have no life tasteless the sun the moon splendor of fire a little closer the heat and light of the fire. That's also, Krishna's saying here, the Supreme Lord saying, that's also my energy. Text 13. I enter into each planet, and by my energy they stay in orbit. I become the moon and thereby supply the juice of life to all vegetables. Rasa Atmaka. I supply the juice. Modern scientists, they, they attribute the floating of the planets in space to simply some uh, gravitation. 
Okay, we accept that. Yeah, gravitation makes sense. All the planets are floating. Well, where did gravitation come from? What, it just... Was there a big bang, and then all of a sudden there's gravitation? Mm, that's a nice theory, but does it really make sense? When you look at the way the planets are floating in space, there was some bang... There's no brain, there's no consciousness... There's no intent behind everything that we experience in life. It just happened by chance, by happenstance. And it's so amazing that there's millions, trillions, billions of stars in the sky. We can't even count them all. But the ones we can count, we've given names to. How to give you ownership. Once you give it a name, it's yours. Uh, now you can all go and you can have a star named after you. If you want, I think there's a registry. So if you if you want a star, if you want to think you can own one, then they'll give you that. Or you can wish upon them. Yeah, you could wish. This is my star. This is the modern dilemma dilemma in our society. I'll just I got to get off base here. Just one minute. This is this is a this is a dilemma that we have, and it's killing the lifeblood of of the living entity. We make everything into a consumer item. Everything. Mankind is such a fool. God gives us bounty in every way. And what do we do? We make it into a consumable. So we, what we do is we form a large corporation and we say, if it's in the ground... I own the rights to it. I'm going to pump it out and you pay me for it. Does that make sense? No, it doesn't make sense, but hey, it's a consumer nation. <laughs> Let's do it. Let's see if we can get away with it. I'm sure we can buy a politician or two and do it. It happens. You know, they were talking about years ago that Nike wanted to shine a laser on the moon, uh, blast this image on the moon so everybody in the world sees the image around the world. Yeah, that's wow. good advertising. <laughs> or water is coming down. What's the first thing, what is the reason that all these cities like to expand? What's the first thing that happens once they pull your municipality under the city structure? First thing, no more wells. You gotta buy that water. Now I live here in this city. You know how much I spend for water? <laughs> huh? I spend four hundred dollars a year. No, 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 not quite that much. I guess it's two months. Every two months I get billed forty or fifty dollars. That's low. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Those probably pay a minimum, everybody minimum of forty three dollars. A month? Minimum. Yeah. Whether you use the water subsidize it. Now, you know where this started? This started in France. You know who owns the water rights in these the four large corporations? Three of them are French. They've created a monopoly of water in the world. So, we look out. You know, I need to put a rain barrel up. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> these things are coming freely. God's bounty is there, but we consumerize it. We make it a commodity, and therefore we exploit other others. What a foolish, foolish way to deal. There's sufficient sun. Believe me, if they could, they will charge you for the sunlight. If they can figure out a way to do it, believe me. They'll do it. Actually, they do have a way. Solar. Solar energy. Yeah. And another thing is when you go for vacation somewhere, you pay tax. You know, special tax for the, you know, for being in this particular place. Yeah. Because there is more sun or, you know, like in Tunisia, they advertise there is like 354 days per year sun. Mm. You know, so you are certain whenever you go for vacation, you, you have sun. Mm. And, but uh, you need to pay extra tax for, for that. You know, yeah. <laughs> this is what we call a peak time. Yes. I enter, enter, I enter into each planet 
and by my energy they stay in orbit. I become the moon and thereby supply the juice of life to all vegetables. So now a little closer. Now text 14. I'm the fire of digestion in the bodies of all living entities. And I join with the air of life outgoing and incoming to digest the four kinds of foodstuff. A little closer, Krishna is explaining how he is giving us all the bounty of life. And not only that, but he's doing those things which make our existence livable. Things that we ourselves really don't have to think about. I mean, did anybody here consciously think after breakfast this morning, okay, now I have to digest my food. Let me sit down and concentrate on that. How do I do that? Hmm? No, it's happening automatically. Just as the sun is coming up every day and, and heating and warming the whole planet, just as the moon is supplying the juice to the vegetables, and just as the fire of digestion is turning those vegetables into the energy which pervades and supports our whole, whole body, Krishna is saying, all that is coming from me. I'm the powerhouse. I'm the source of everything and I'm giving you full facility to enjoy those senses. Full facility. So that you can hear, see, smell, taste, touch, enjoy life the way you wanted to in your last life. I'm even making sure that when you leave that life, when you come into the next body, you're going to, what? The verse we chanted tonight. What's Krishna say? I am seated in your heart. Being seated in your heart, I remind you what you wanted to do last life. I give you the facility to remember what you wanted to accomplish. The miseries of leaving your last body were so difficult for you what to speak of the nine months in the womb, but we won't go there right now. <laughs> it's not really very enjoyable for the soul. So therefore, you can forget those. I'll control what you remember. I'll control what you forget. Sarvashyacham, Hridi, son of the stone. Hridi, in your heart. Hridi. Sarvashyacham, Hridi, son of the stone. Matashmritir, Janamapoha. I am seated in everyone's heart. Not only your heart, everybody's heart. I'm doing this for everybody. Understand how, how close I am. I am seated in everyone's heart. For me comes knowledge, remembrance, and forgetfulness. Knowledge, remembrance, and forgetfulness. Knowledge. If you desire to advance yourself and acquire knowledge... To exploit material nature, I'll facilitate that. If you want transcendental knowledge, if you want to end the miseries of material existence, then I'll give you that knowledge. And then Krishna goes on. And in this world, at this time, I provide that knowledge through the Vedas. I am that Vedic knowledge. I am that knowledge. What's he say? By all the Vedas I am to be known. Indeed, I am the compiler of the Vedas. And I am the knower of the Vedas. I really know what that purpose is. What is that purpose of the Vedas? Well, that to, for that knowledge, let's study the life of Lord Chaitanya. Lord Chaitanya approached Ramananda Roy and said, what is the object of spiritual inquiry? What is the true object? What is the topmost spiritual understanding? And Ramananda Roy said, oh, let's live nicely in society. 
And he said he gave so many, he put forth so many sound, logical conclusions as to what the highest level of spiritual understanding was. Lord Shaitanya said, that's fine, that's good, I accept, that's good, but could you go a little further? Let's go further. And what here, Krishna's speaking of, the purpose of the Vedas. What's the purpose of all religious scripture? What's the purpose of all religious practice? What's the purpose of all knowledge when it comes to transcendental knowledge about our true self? Surrender. Yes. Service to the Supreme Lord. Okay. Yes, sir. Submission. Submission. Particular submission. Not only just submission, unmotivated. Unmotivated. Now, what's when we say unmotivated? What's that mean? That means you do it without having to put forth. And what do we call that in this world? Unconditional. There's another word. Okay. Come on. It's right there on the tip of your tongue. Everybody's looking for it. All you need is... Yes. That is the highest objective of self-realization. Unconditional, unmotivated, unreligious, because when we talk religion, we're talking generally, we talk a little business here. I'll show the church, you give me this, I'll do this, you do that. I'll pray every night, you'll take care of my kids, and give, me, give me a good job. No. Lord Chaitanya, no. You you pick me up. Nadanam nadjanam nasundarim. I don't want any of that. Aslishava. Pick me up and embrace me. Leave me broken hearted. Doesn't matter. You are the object of all my love. That is pure spiritual understanding. That's what this whole Krishna consciousness movement is based on. That is the purpose of the Vedas. And that is why we come here every week and we we study and learn this knowledge so that we can climb to that pinnacle of pure love. This is the most purifying activity that's available, this Krishna thought, this coming together, this discussing, discussing the Supreme Lord and his directions. This will bring us to that platform. And then everything that's disturbing in our existence will fall away. I'll stop there. Any questions, comments, corrections? So like you explained nicely um, during your presentation that if someone is foolish like me should ask someone who has knowledge. So I would present my question. Um, you know, you were talking at the beginning that um, God gives us the facility to fulfill our desires, that our consciousness in the, you know, in the moment when we leave this body Why we don't remember that? It's just uh, especially that we can see that very often, you know, apparently we are bewildered what to do in our life. Mm-hmm. And seeing that the, the senses, you know, the, the mind, the intelligence is just to fulfill this, uh, you know, this desire of, of our desire which we had in the previous life. And so why we are so bewildered here if everything. You know, this body, our intelligence, our, our mind, everything supposed to fulfill these desires which we have. And once we don't remember it, we, you know, we are just appearing here in this particular body, with this particular instrument, and we are trying to figure out, well, what should I do? So there's two, answer, two, two things I'll, I'll mention. First of all, Krishna does answer that question in Bhagavad Gita. He explains to our Arjuna that... Uh, 
many births and deaths we've had. I'm God, I can remember them all. You're also God, but you're a little teeny weeny itsy bitsy part of my energy. Therefore, you can become bewildered within this material because of your infinitesimalness, basically. You, you become overcome and, and there's forgetfulness. The whole process, though, of self-realization, of transcendental realization, is to bring us to a state of continual remembrance. As long as we are within this material external potency, under the influence of the modes of material nature, the Lord's external potency, that potency can, can and will overcome us. That's the nature of this world. The nature of this world is ignorance, avidya. It's, it's, we're thrown and we forget. So as long as we're attached to this environment for enjoyment or renunciation, as long as we're trying in some way to not live according to our true spiritual existence, eternity, knowledge, and bliss, we will be overcome and we will forget. Rest assured, it's going to happen. It's the nature of our infinitesimalness. The whole process of self-realization is to come to a platform of constant remembrance of our spiritual nature. You may say, well, that's, come on, who can do that? I mean, who can continually remember at every moment that your spirit soul, that you're not this body. I mean, you know, it's easy to say that, you know, I'm not this body, but if I go out and get hit by a car and my bones are all busted, believe me, I'm going to be like, wow, it hurts. Spiritual life is about coming to the platform of constant remembrance. No matter what the circumstances that we're confronted with in this material environment, to continually remember our spiritual nature. Self-realization brings us to that if we, if we come submissively to a loving relationship with the Supreme Lord. That relationship pulls us up to the spiritual platform. We're overcome by spiritual emotion. There's three platforms of advancement in devotional service. Devotional service in practice. Devotional service in ecstasy, devotional service in pure love of God. Once we, get our, once we get our senses under control, under the direction of the spiritual master, then we begin to taste our true spiritual existence, devotional service and ecstasy. That pushes us on to devotional service and pure love of God. When you're on that platform, that is continual remembrance. Continual remembrance is continual knowledge. So it, that, is the, that is the perfection of self-realization, to come to that level of continual remembrance. And it happens naturally as the heart throws off anarthas, the dirt of material existence, and we actually feel our true spiritual nature. Then we'll come to the platform of continual remembrance. Arjuna was on such a platform of continual remembrance. He was bewildered for our benefit. Our objective in spiritual life was come to that platform. Yes, sir. So, uh, if the goal is to always remember, why do we forget? It's just like you gave the example about, you know, uh, learning that we should not steal. But it seems like every, every morning we are waking up and we need to learn the same, the same thing, you know, or I need to learn that I should not steal. So I, I think, you know, it just seems like the system is constructed in the, in the way that every, every time we got new body and we need to learn the same things again from the very beginning. Why, why not, you know, why we cannot remember, uh, you know, what happened in the previous lifetime and just have the shortcut, you know, from, from, from our... When, when, you're de when, you, when, you're, when your determination is such 
that there's nothing else except that ambition for self-realization and, and a loving relationship with the Supreme, that will happen. Yeah, but before we come to this point... Then you need to be patient, you need to take shelter of spiritual direction, you need to take shelter of Krishna's devotees and Krishna's pure devotee, the spiritual master, and you need to engage in a practice that will take you to that platform. Didn't we mention that last week about whatever you do in this life, it's sort of like money in the bank. You're, you're it's not lost, it's secreting, yes. Yeah, it's secreting, so it's little by little. Then there's a making headway. And joy, see, that's what, where the problem lies. You <laughs> want to be the enjoyer. So as long as we have this desire to be the enjoyer, then, then this is naturally we're going to forget who we, our, our true nature is. Until we stop wanting to be the, until we come to the platform to stop being the enjoyer, then we'll have to worry about forgetting anymore. Because our senses are always dragging us to different things. You know, we want to eat this, we want to see this, we want to smell this, we want to, you know, taste this. For as long as we're constantly being drugged in these different areas, this is what makes us forget our nature. Ours is not to question why. <laughs> You've heard this? That's the same. What's the rest of it? Ours is not to reason why ours is to do or die. So, the why Krishna wants you to forget, whatever, if you're still forgetful, it must be in your best interest. So he's going to he's going to keep you there until you're ready, until you're so determined, until your until your aspirate, until you become so greedy for spiritual life and nothing else. There may be some forgetfulness. That makes sense. Last question. Last question, all right. In the connection of the food. So uh, we read in, the, in the one of the verses the, the, the Supreme Lord is the fire of digestion. So this means that the course of time he is leaving us because our <laughs> digestion is going down. Or he doesn't want to relate with us in the same way anymore. He is just like cutting. It's time digestion. to move on. The fire of digestion will. <laughs> it's good. It's good at the end of life. Maybe it'll cut down, and uh, you know, and we can uh, spend more time uh, in spiritual practice. Uh, we also think we're not. Huh? Go ahead. I was just going to think of just sort of take that one step further and just think of like the miraculous things that the body does manage to do. That's Krishna's doing. Just like when we talk about offering the flower or a leaf and we think that to me vegetable food stuffs that are operable that's, that's the way I think it is you know, not just specifically digestion but also just a lot of the things that happen in the body well yes in the four ports the acharyas mentioned particularly the airs of the body prana it's the nature of his external energy to uh to give us digestion for some time and then uh, at the end of life he may take it away. So when the body is sick, um, how does that relate to Krishna? <coughs> What's Krishna say when the verse we read tonight that we that we chanted? Sarvasya Chaham Riddhi Sani Listo. All these things are working under his direction. Oh. What's it say? Not a blade of grass moves without the sanction of the Supreme Lord. If we can live our life and see our see everything in our life at, uh, coming at that level of spiritual closeness with the Supreme, then that's jhana chakshush. That's transcendental vision. That's what he's meant to do. You're sick. Well, I don't think he causes sickness, though. I mean, I, that, I, I don't mean that. I mean, uh, I think we cause our own sickness. We cause our own ill health. And particularly when we don't follow the injunctions. 
Well, that, but still, the material body is not you. As long as you're thinking you're this material body, then you're thinking you're sick. <laughs> or you're healthy. What, as long as you're relating to this lump of flesh as your being, you are in illusion. So whether the body is... I mean, that's why people have trouble understanding the spiritual master. They have trouble understanding the devotees, the pure souls. They see them as the same. But no, their activities are such that they are totally on the transcendental platform. You should realize when Jesus was hanging on the cross, he was not suffering the way we would suffer. It was a spiritual rapture. <laughs> when we take... There's an injunction against seeing the spiritual master as having a material body. Not allowed. Cent percent used in Krishna's service, cent percent spiritual. Thank you so very much. I'll stop there.